Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, today is a, is a special day. It's an important day. It's a, it's a very important day. Today is my 38th birthday. How about that? Um, now, when I say I'm 38 years old, that's a very divisive age in a context like this because there's a bunch of you who think, man, you're old. I, I said to my dad yesterday, I said, Dad, I'm officially older than you were the first time it occurred to me that you were old. And for others, though, I, I, that might sound like I'm still just a pup. Oh, you're only 38. You haven't even hit 40 yet. But I think if, if that's a divisive age, that would tell me I'm somewhere squarely in the middle of age. Um, but not middle-aged. You're middle-aged. I am not middle-aged. But I can stand here today, and you know, you should reflect on your birthday. It should cause you to look back over the years you've amassed on planet Earth and think. And I, I think about my life, and I think about how unbelievably blessed I have been. And I can stand here today with no pretension, not pretending, not trying to sound like it's the spiritual thing to say, and say, God has been so unbelievably good to me. I mean, I have been so blessed. He has been gentle and kind and patient and firm and fun and faithful to me. And I've often felt, and I've said it from this pulpit before, I've often felt like I'm his favorite kid and y'all just have to play for second place. (laughs) It's not true, but you you should feel like his favorite. And I have. But in all that, I have learned something about life in my closing in on 40 years And that is this, that in all the good things of this life and all the blessings that I've experienced and all of the evidence of just God's grace in my life, I have found something to be true. Let me know if this resonates with you. I've found life is hard. Life's hard. It's full of challenges and setbacks and disappointments and struggles and opposition, pain and loss. The reality is life is challenging and frustrating and heartbreaking and infuriating and can be debilitating. And I've found myself, especially as of late, saying, life is so hard. Can you relate? Life's hard. I've found it pastorally. I just did a quick inventory of the last 10 days of just a few of the things that have come across my desk. And I I want to assure you, at a church this size, every need does not even get close to coming across my desk. It just can't. But even just in the last 10 days, I've been thinking, I have multiple friends who are dealing with the, the trauma and drama of adult children that are causing amazing grief on them. I have a friend who was diagnosed with lymphoma who's starting chemotherapy treatments. This is all people in our community. Uh, another friend who had to rush, uh, they rushed off to Halifax last week for eye surgery. Just very, very scary and traumatic. I was talking to my friend Carl a few days ago who's 
battling just unbelievable pain through cancer treatment and just that's going on. I talked to a woman on the phone last week whose mother died during COVID, died in isolation, and they haven't been able to grieve properly. Talked to my friend Andy last week who uh, sent a text to him. I'd found out that he'd lost his mother and his aunt during this time, and he has to self-isolate by himself while he grieves, which is inhumane, by the way. Heard of a person that we've been praying for like so diligently for an answer, for a healing, and we got some brutal news about them. This is last week. Saw, I drove by somebody in our church uh, a couple days ago, saw them through the intersection, and was reminded they lost their business this year. Uh, and then to top all that off, I stood on this very stage on Monday and preached the funeral of a, a woman not even in her 50s yet uh, who died suddenly and left behind a 10-year-old son and a family that's already endured unimaginable hardship. And I've just found myself saying, even as a pastor, oh, life's hard. And that's not even getting into my own life. My own, I've, I've been saying it personally a lot lately. We've been walking through... Uh, just, just not even 10 days ago, my, my dad, who only had one kid, has one kidney, uh, had a tumor removed from his remaining kidney. We went through that as a family, and we're grateful for 80% of one working kidney. Um, but as he's recovering, and then my, my brother and my sister, they welcomed their uh, first child into the, into the world who we are in love with, but they had to rush her off. They airlifted her to the IWK, and so... And that's while, I mean, we're still praying and walking with my dear aunt and my Uncle Don as she goes through just the most unimaginable hell of, of just health issue after health issue. And that's not even getting into what this year has been for me on a personal level, just trying to lead this church who I love through COVID. And that's been challenging me. That's not even getting into I've been betrayed this year. I've been criticized, I've been backstabbed, I've had disappointments and setbacks and frustrations, and I tell you all this to not make you feel bad for me today, I tell you this to identify with me, because I don't want to stand up here as the pastor and as the professional Christian for you to think that I'm somehow exempt because I follow Jesus, and you're not exempt because you follow Jesus. Life, life's hard, isn't it? It's just hard. There are forces and powers in this world that will trample you and push you and try to devour you and leave you for dead. Your enemy, the devil, like Peter says, is prowling around like a lion looking for whom he may devour. Welcome to King's Church. I hope that you are feeling uplifted. Glad that you came to church today. Some of you, this is the first time you've been here or tuned in. You're like, who is this guy and is he always this down? No, it's important that we have these moments of reflection. It's important that we pump the brakes and we get honest because, listen, the, the, the gospel the world is going to tell you, the good news the world is going to tell you, it's based on a myth of Western progress, and that is this. You know, we've taken that idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we've, we've converted that into a right and an expectation, that my life should always be safe, comfortable, healthy, and happy. And if I'm ever not in that category, something is wrong and someone needs to pay. And we operate under that assumption. But the problem is, 
Life does not cooperate with that ideal, does it? And so we find ourselves constantly fighting between the vision we have and the, ex the expectation we have and the reality we're experiencing. And that's that zone of disappointment and discouragement that all of us face and fight. And here's the thing. You do one brief glance at human history and you'll realize life is hard. I was listening to a podcast uh, not too long ago, and I thought the person made such an incredible point by saying, you know, a lot of us have been licking our wounds and, and, and crying out because of the pain that 2020 and 2021 has brought. But, you know, if you actually look over the course of human history, actually 2020 is not that unusual. It's not the first pandemic. It's not the first global hardship. In fact, the stranger thing than 2020 was the decade of pretty good years leading into it. Life just doesn't support that premise that I'm always going to be healthy, happy, and safe. And unfortunately, we can carry that expectation, that kind of American dream, which it is a good dream and it is a good ideal to reach for. We all want that. But we can carry that into our expectation of our Christianity. I sometimes wonder, and I wonder if the Lord's been even untangling in the church and untangling in me a little bit of a, a modern, western, postmodern expectation that I've placed on my faith that just isn't there in the Bible. I mean, you ever actually read the book of Psalms? In, it's like the guy's bipolar. It's like, the, the, it's like on the one hand, they, they talk about the, 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 the blessing of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the path of the wicked. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And then on the other hand, you hear like just the craziest lament of hardship. Did you know the oldest book in the Bible is not Genesis, it's Job? It's almost like God gave us that one first and said, here, this is going to be very hard. You're going to need this. Life is hard, isn't it? It's just hard. And to have an expectation that it's not going to be hard is inconsistent with the Bible. It's inconsistent with the words of Jesus. He said, in this world, you, you will have troubles, not you might or if you, hey, if you, if you veer off the, the narrow path, you're going to have trouble. But if you stay with me, it's going to be all good in the hood. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. And our hands go up, right? And they stay there, yeah. Right. It's inconsistent, and it's inconsistent. To have an expectation that is exempt from suffering is inconsistent with Christian history. It's inconsistent with, frankly, the experience that Christians all over the world, even today, are having. We kind of carry this Western mythology, this Western ideology, and we can transplant that into our Christianity if we're not careful. And I think sometimes the version of Christianity that we have been sold in the modern Western church often leaves us wondering, because our expectation is happiness and wholeness and comfort, it leaves us wondering, Jesus, are you really Lord? And do you really care about me? Can you see I'm dealing with cancer? Can you see we're dealing with this? We've been praying the prayers. We've been asking for healing. Why is nothing happening? Why am I being trampled? Have you had that thought? I bring all that up today because this is where we land in our Revelation series. We have been asking this, this question. We've been asking for the last handful of weeks, what does it look like? What does it look like for the church to bear witness to the Lamb in our day. What does it look like for the church to bear witness? Let's bring that up on the screen, guys. What does it look like for the church to bear witness to the Lamb in our day? We have learned over the last year and a half 
that the book of Revelation is about, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ and how he is unfolding his redemptive plan on the earth. Can we get an amen? And that we're actually called to believe that in spite of what our eyes see, Revelation says there's more going on than meets the eye. And that the lamb is on the throne and he's unfolding his plan for human history to redeem and restore all things. He's eradicating sin. He's eradicating Satan. He's eradicating death. And there is a place called hell for that. And he is pushing darkness back little by little, day by day, person by person. And we have been told that in that he's calling all people to himself. We discovered God did not make hell for people. He made it for sin and Satan and death. That's what the lake of fire is about. And God right now, through Jesus, is inviting all people to come to salvation and eternal life in the Lamb. Can we get another amen? And that the way he's doing that, though, is actually by calling the world to himself, to the Lamb, through who? Through us. Through the witnesses. And we've been studying for the last several weeks Revelation chapter 10 and chapter 11, and we have been looking at the description of the two witnesses. We come to this place where John gets a vision of a temple and of lampstands and of olive trees and of two witnesses, and we have learned that that's not just about two witnesses that are going to come someday, but it's a prophetic word to the church now about how we are called to bear witness in the world. And so we've been looking at that, and we discovered that one of the primary ways that we're supposed to bear witness is through what? It's through the Word. It's through speaking the truth. We just prayed about that, that God would awaken our tongues to speak the truth about the Lamb. He also told us, that the picture tells us that we are, we are called to win the world through our works, that God equips His saints with power to perform signs and wonders. We believe that, Amen. We really do, and God uses signs and wonders to point to the authority of King Jesus. We also talked about bringing burlap back, yeah. right? And how when we live different, it calls people to look at us and to, and, and to actually see the Lamb. But today we kind of get to the, what I think is the most important part, and frankly is the central message to the church in the book of Revelation. Are you ready for it? We're going to do one quick read over of Revelation chapter 11, and I'm going to see if you can see it. It tells us, here's the vision. It says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and I was told to go and measure the temple of God and the altar. So remember, who's the temple? Who is the temple? Us. We are the temple of the living God. Peter says it. We are like living stones being brought together. We are the temple with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city. Who's the city on a hill? Who is it? It's us. We are the city on a hill. Tra they'll trample on it for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses. Who are the witnesses? Us. Y'all are quiet at the valley. I hope they're saying something at Halifax or West. Yeah, it's us. We are the witnesses. And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and they devour their enemies. Talking about walking in power. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as they want. We talked about that. Signs, wonder-working power. Now when they have finished their testimony, watch this. The beast 
that comes up from the abyss. This is the first time we see the, we really get a glimpse of the beast. We'll talk about him in, in the days to come. The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation. Does that sound familiar? They will gaze on their bodies, gaze on their dead, lying bodies, and will refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But, everyone say but. but, but after the three and a half days, after they'd suffered a little while, after they'd laid there for the whole world to bear witness to their faithfulness, after they'd suffered, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Awe. Oh. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And we talked about this weeks and weeks ago. This is the only time in the whole book of Revelation that the nations repent. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Did you catch the theme I was trying to highlight? The witnesses step out in obedience. They speak the word of the Lord. They wear their witness. They wear their burlap. They, they do signs and wonders. And just at the point where you start to think, wow, these guys are walking it. There's nothing coming against them. We find what? This beast, this force, this roaring lion comes from the abyss and devours them, kills them, and leaves them laying in the street for the people to witness not their life, but what? Their death. It says the nations gazed on them in their dying. And it was on the other side of that that every people, tribe, and nation repented. The witnesses, get this, here's the point. I want you to not miss this. This is so, so crucial. The witnesses are called to win the world. The witnesses win the world here. Yes, by how they live. Yes, by what they speak. Yes, by what they do. But what really does it ultimately, what ultimately wins the world and points to the Lamb isn't how we live. It's that we're willing to die for it. We aren't simply called to live for Christ. We're called to die for Him. And it's this type of faith that wins the world. Faith that bears witness to the Lamb looks like the Lamb. What did the lamb do? I saw a lamb looking as if he'd been slain. When we remain faithful to him as he has been faithful to us, people gaze on our faithfulness even in the face of death and that bears witness to the lamb. What wins the world isn't simply that we're willing to live for him by faith, but, the, but that we're willing to die for him in faith, that we remain faithful to the end. And church, this is our story. You sit here as a believer today from a long line of people that stretches back 2,000 years across cultures and continents of people who have been willing not just to step out in faith, not just to speak out in faith, not just to see the power of God move on their behalf, but people who have died for what they believe in, who will suffer in faith, and no matter what comes their way, they will not turn back. 
And that has been the thing that has won this world most aggressively. It's that the church was bought with the blood of lamb and it's being built with the blood of the saints. Now, why am I telling you this? Am I, am I preparing you to face martyrdom? I don't think we're, we're super close to that. We might in our lifetime. Martyrdom might be the ultimate witness, but just because you've never had a gun to your head or a knife to your throat doesn't mean you won't have to walk out in your suffering faithfulness. God speaks the loudest to the world when they see how we stand when life is trampling us and the beast devours us. See, I actually want to encourage you today. What if you're looking at the hardship that you are currently going through? Like, what if you're looking at your current struggles the wrong way? What if God hasn't abandoned you in your suffering? What if he's appointed you in it? What if you're praying the wrong prayer? What if, what if the first priority of the struggle that you're in, of the season that you're going through, what if God's first priority isn't to make you comfortable and safe? What if it's to call the people that he set around you, to, that they would see the lamb through how you suffer? What if he hasn't abandoned you? What if he's appointed you? What if the reason you have cancer is because God wants to show somebody else what it looks like when a saint, when a Christian has cancer? What if you went through betrayal because God wants you to bear witness to the world what it looks like when a Christian is betrayed? What if you went through job loss because God wants you to bear witness to the world what it looks like to go through the job hunt, not fearing your provision because you know who your provider is? What if you have an illness? What if you're going through grief? What if you have a wayward child? What if the Lord wants to show? What if he's setting you up as an appointment for someone else to come? Maybe you're the revelation of God for somebody else. What if God wants the nations to gaze upon you? What if, what if God hasn't given you a punishment in your pain? What if he's giving you a platform by it? And how many of you know it's the loudest thing to see somebody go through pain and yet say, I will not turn back? Yes. See, two things happen when we are faithful in suffering. There are two things, and I'm going to be pretty quick on this. But I think this is going to encourage you because I know a lot of us are experiencing just unprecedented difficulty in our lives. And I want you to know that God has not abandoned you. He's appointed you. And he is not punishing you. He's setting you out in the city square for the nations to gaze upon. Here's the two things that happen, two major things. Here's what happens when you stay faithful in your cancer treatment or in your job hunt or in your whatever you're going through, when you stay faithful, two things we are, we are promised. First and foremost, we are rewarded for it. Second, the lamb is revealed by it. We are rewarded for it and the lamb is revealed by it. Here's, let me break it down, the reward. Here's what happens when you and I remain faithful to the end. We are what? Come on, Halifax. We are what? Rewarded. You are rewarded when you remain faithful. 
When you look at your life and all the things that are coming against you and nothing can get you off that conviction where you hold on and say, I will not turn back, there is great reward for that. And you actually see it played out in chapter 11. I hope you still have it open in front of you. I just pulled these little verses here, but just a couple ideas of the benefit and the reward for your faithfulness. This is what you are promised and this is what you will experience. First and foremost is the reward of eternity, eternal life. Did you notice what happened? They didn't stay dead, did they? The witnesses were devoured, and just when everybody thought all hope was lost, what happened? The power of God rushed in and vindicated them, raised their bodies to life. At the last hour, at the last moment, they experienced resurrection life. And let me just preach this for a minute. Look, we live in the West where this life is pretty good, and we have options that are unlike any other time in human history. But let me tell you something. Your hope is not primarily based in this life. I do believe God is good. I do believe we'll experience the the goodness of God in the land of the living. But you have got to get something in your head. Jesus is the first fruit of a new creation. And that he has been raised to life in an everlasting body. And we are invited as we put our faith in him that the same way that he rose from death and he will never die again, he holds the keys to death and hell, he invites us unto that hope. We are going to live forever. Let that hit you. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, when people were denying the resurrection, he said, look, if you're a Christian and you aren't thinking centrally about the fact that God is going to raise you from the dead, that this body is temporary, that this life is temporary, he says that, look, if we only have hope in this life, you should pity us. He said, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Go do what feels good. But he says, but we don't only have hope in this life. He says, I tell you a mystery. We will, be ra- we will not all sleep, he says. We will be raised to life. This is what Jesus was trying to show us. Do you remember when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead? That was a sign for what he's going to do for all of us. He said, look, he said, the thief comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you would have, yeah, life and have it to the full, have it everlasting, have it unyielding, unfinishing, never ending. And then he said what? He said, anybody who believes in me, though he die, he will. We don't just face death. We're facing life through death. We get the reward, both in this life and in the life to come, the reward of the power of God on our behalf. We get the reward of glory. Did you notice that not only did they, were they st- stood up on their feet, but then it says they heard, they heard a voice from heaven saying, come up here. It's this, this prophetic picture of elevation, of glorification. And you see it all through the book of Revelation. The martyred saints are the closest to the throne. Did you notice that? Did you notice that in chapter, chapter 5, chapter 6? Go look at it. The martyred saints, the one who suffered, they were the closest to the throne, the one who remained faithful. There's glory in this. Real glory. Look, there's going to be people in heaven that none of us have ever heard of that are going to be so glorified and so magnified because of their their quiet endurance and faithfulness in suffering. And then probably the biggest one, and I think this gives us great hope for today, because some of these are, are tomorrow promises, but really today is the reward of intimacy. It says in verse 12, it says, They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. 
Why is that important? What's the cloud represent? Well, in, in, a cloud envelops you, and it's actually a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of how God came around them and brought them into himself. It's a picture of intimacy. And how many of you know this? There is a level of knowing and intimacy that only comes through shared experience. Do you know what I mean? Have any of you, any ever gone through something and after you went through it, you had a whole new appreciation, understanding, or even closeness to somebody else who'd gone through the same thing? Like just this past week, talking to, to Cheryl from our church who'd lost a child, and now she knows that she has a ministry with other people in our church who have lost children, and they have a bond that the rest of us can't share. And this is what you and I are invited into, like, whoa. We're invited when we suffer in faith. You are invited to a level of intimacy with Jesus that you can get no other way. You're invited into a knowledge of who he is and what he's like that you can get in no other way. This is why Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Why? Because if I suffer like him, I will know him better, and he is the treasure. I, I've been feeling that a lot lately. Like, You know, I'm not perfect, and God's still working on me, but I would say I, I'm, I'm hearing the Lord in ways that I never have before. And specifically in some of the challenges and areas of my life where I was just sharing with our lead team this past week through tears, like having to endure some criticism like probably never before and, and being wrongfully, wrongfully talked about. And, and I was just sharing how I've heard the voice of Jesus kind of come around me in a close way. It says, blessed are you when people say all sorts of things about me. There is a knowing that you can share with Jesus, that we can share with Jesus. Like, let me, let me, don't miss the invitation of your trial. Do you know God knows what it's like? Jesus has been through what you're going through. Every single thing. There's not a thing. We have a sympathetic high priest. He's been through what you're going through. Like, he knows what it's like to be shamed. He knows what it's like to be wrongfully spoken of. He knows what it's like to be afflicted. He knows what it feels like when your body is injured. He knows what it feels like when your friend bails on you. God knows what it feels like to lose a child. He knows what it feels like to lose a loved one. And he invites us to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. That's, that's the great invitation to all this. It's the great reward. And, and that's the thing you need to keep front and center. Maybe you're struggling with being trampled today, but hear the word of the Lord. God has not abandoned you in it. He's inviting you closer to himself. He's inviting you closer to himself. He's appointed you for such a time as this. See, there's a great reward for your faithfulness. But there's also a great purpose. There's a great purpose. You suffering in faith may be the most important thing you ever do. The central message of Revelation, this is, what we're, this is why I wanted to end this, this section on this. 
The central message of the book of Revelation is not Jesus is Lord, the Lamb is on the throne, so he's going to make everybody comfortable. It's not Jesus is taking over and we're on his team, therefore he's going to exempt us from pain. Which is ironic because Revelation has been preached that way for a long time. Last hundred years or so. But that's actually not what the central message of the book of Revelation is. The central message of the book of Revelation is not that we're exempted or not that God's going to evacuate you from all pain and hardship, but it's to be encouraged to endure well your pain as you follow the Lamb. That is what the book is all about. Revelation is a message to the church to stand firm even as you are being trampled on by the nations, even as powers and principalities come and death and decay and deterioration try to wreak havoc on your life. It's to stand firm, trusting that you will rise again, you will receive the crown of life, and that through your faithfulness, the world will be one. That is the message of Revelation to the church. That is the message that the first Christians would have received. That's, that's the message that God is even speaking to us in our day, that through our faithfulness, we receive the great reward of our faith and that the world is one to the Lamb by our faithfulness. And this was the story. If you go back in history and you look at the first hundred years of the, of the, of the church, what do you see? You, you see Christians who did not have it easy. Every disciple that followed, all the 12 apostles, all 12 of them suffered big time. The church was built on faithfulness. The first century, the church endured massive persecution and hardship from the Roman Empire and from the Jews. And yet the more that the church was afflicted, the more people were called to the Lamb. And you go through the second century and the third century, like the first two and three hundred years of the church, the church was built on Christians who were not evacuating from the hardship. Like, if you, did you know that in the second century, there was a massive pandemic that swept through the Roman world? And when governments and wealth was pouring out of the cities, the church ran in. And that's where hospitals were invented. You know, that's ours. We, we invented that. we're not afraid. In the third century, there's another one. The first Christians got this message. Can you imagine, just picture them reading that letter from John. They got that message, hey, if you'll remain faithful, I will give you the crown of life. Do not turn back. Stand firm. In a little while, the Lord himself will raise you up. Stand firm. And as you do, I'm winning the world to myself. I want to demonstrate what I'm like through you. And that's what happens. We aren't just rewarded for it, but the Lamb is revealed by it. You know, I think God is revealed when we operate in favor. Like when God has blessed somebody, how many of you know God blesses us to be a blessing? That can point to God. Miracles can point to God. The favor of God, the fire of God resting upon people. I I believe that's true. And we are a miracle church. We believe that God can heal. This is not a message that says, well, we're all just going to suffer forever, so let's not pray for healing. That is not biblical either. And we believe that God can heal. But you know what I've found? The thing that speaks the deepest to other people and even to one another isn't when God demonstrates himself or calls us to himself through favor or through fire. It's through faithfulness. 
It's through faithfulness. Like even this morning as we're worshiping together, as we're lifting our hands and we're saying, you reign above it all, you reign above it all. Faithfulness. Because we don't stand here and proclaim that out of some vacuum, out of some delusion that says everything's perfect, therefore you reign. I, I glanced around this room that I'm standing in and saw dozens of people that I know are standing on weak knees with weak arms but saying, you deserve all the glory. I will not turn back no matter what. And something so transcendent happens when we do that. It's faithfulness. You see, the lamb is revealed. A few ideas. Like, what are, pe- what are people seeing? Really quick, I'm going to pray. I'm almost done. When you remain faithful in your trial and in your trampling and in your suffering, when you remain faithful, first thing that's, that shows the lamb is your conviction. Nothing says we believe this stuff like an unwillingness to let go when things don't go our way. Isn't that right? Like that's why you can't discount the testimony of the first disciples. Because they believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. You don't die for lies, do you? It's that conviction. It's that conviction that says, I believe this, and I believe not only that it's true, but I believe Jesus really is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that means that I'm not. And so whatever he says goes, wherever he leads, I'll follow. Y'all, how countercultural is it? For a church to demonstrate true conviction that we aren't the king. He's the king. And what happens to me is not up to me. It's up to him. Doesn't that speak? In the age where you do you and you're the king and no one should tell you otherwise and the whole world has got to conform around your sense of perceived identity, the Christians stand back and say, no, wait, I'm not king, he's king. I bow the knee to him and I go where he calls me, I'll go where he sends me, I'll do what he tells me to do, I won't do what he tells me not to do. It's not about me, it's about him. Isn't that, doesn't that speak? It's conviction. It's also in compassion. Do you know what generosity is? dying to self. It's laying yourself down. It's laying your resource down. It's laying your time down. It's laying your energy down. Whenever you serve somebody, you are, you are laying yourself down. You're letting them trample you. Do you know what forgiveness is? The death to your rights. It's the death to your own sense of justice and vindication. See, the Lamb is revealed through our compassion. Jesus said, no greater love than this than when one man would lay his life down for a friend. The Lord is seen. He's seen when you lay your life down. When you go the second, third, fourth mile, when you forgive that person again and again and again and again, says the lamb is on the throne and there is grace that runs from that seat that never ends. I don't forgive you in my own grace. I forgive you in his. He's forgiven me much, so I got lots to go, lots to give. It's compassion. It's courage. Y'all have heard the stories of the first Christians tied up to a stake. Rumors of being Nero's candles. Singing hymns. Not cursing Nero in that moment as they are being lit to blaze. But praising God. Demonstrating courage that says... This life is not all there is. 
There's more than what you can see right now. There is a lamb on the throne who rules, a kingdom that will never end. And I am part of that kingdom. And even when this heart stops beating and these eyes are closed forever, my spirit will be with him and he will give me a new body. I have the helmet of salvation. That means I got extra lives forever and ever and ever. I'm not so scared of this one. It's our courage that speaks. That's why we're not afraid of pandemics. It's not because of restrictions or social distancing. We're not afraid of pandemics because COVID is not on the throne. Jesus is. And he rules my life. We're not afraid of the economy. Why? Because the economy is not my provider. We're not afraid of this life at all because the lamb is on the throne. Our courage speaks. And then ultimately he's seen in our character. Is there anything more Christ-like than being willing to say, Lord... I just, I just read it this morning. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not want that cup. He said, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, please take this cup from me, the cup of God's wrath that he was going to drink for us. And you might be praying right now, Lord, if it's possible, please take this, this cancer from me. Please take this season from me. But then Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Is there anything more Christ-like than when we say, Lord, take this, yet not my will, but yours be done? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? It looks like Jesus. Let me say it again. The witnesses... Those who remain faithful to the Lamb all the way through suffering, through the valley of the shadow of death, those who remain faithful win the world to the Lamb. So let me ask you one last time, what if God hasn't abandoned you in your suffering? What if he's appointed you in it? What if it's a setup? What if he's calling you to stand in it in faith? Stand there, unmoving, stand firm, trusting, yes, the, the devil like a roaring lion. Is, he's looking for someone to devour. But we know that, hey, this isn't unique to me. There's Christians all over the world dealing with the same stuff. And we stand here in faith knowing that in a little while, the same God who raised Christ from the dead will quicken my body and raise me from the dead too. And that it, people coming to know Jesus is worth dying for. It's worth not getting my way for. It's worth giving myself to. Amen? I'm going to invite you all across our locations to stand to your feet for a moment. I'm going to pray. I actually want to prophesy. Halifax West, if you're online even, maybe you're just sensing the Spirit speaking to you, I'd, I'd invite you to stand. What if God hasn't abandoned you in your suffering? What if he's appointed you in it? What is your season? What are you going through? I believe... This is a moment of awakening for the sleeping giant known as the Western Church. And then maybe COVID and political unrest and social unrest and economic unrest is just the shaking that we need to come out of our stupor that says, I follow Jesus, therefore everything's going to be just peachy. And where we'd really follow and fall in love with him and find that he's the treasure and that we would chase after him no matter what the cost. I believe God is calling us out to stand, to be faithful to him, 
no matter the cost. I want to remind some of you, some of you, this is hitting really close to home because you're in it. You're being trampled. When as soon as I said life's hard at the start of this sermon, you went, yes. The Lord says, stand firm. That he who stands firm will receive the crown of life you stand to gain so much more than anything you can lose. So stand firm in the cancer. Stand firm in the family issues. Stand firm in it. Endure and you will receive the crown of life. And know this, that you do not labor in vain. That you, not, you do not endure in vain. But God is bearing witness to what Jesus is like as you go through your trial. He's reaching out and he's calling others to himself. What unbelievable meaning to your trial that God would use what you're going through to bring him glory, to establish his kingdom and to call all men to himself. So I want to pray for us that we would stand firm. I want to pray the courage of the Holy Spirit to be upon you today. I want to pray the confidence and the conviction of the Spirit would grab, grab you today. I want to pray against those of you who are right now on the mountaintop and you're terrified that the other shoe would fall. I want to pray that the same Spirit that convinced Paul, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. If it means I can know Jesus more, I don't care what happens. So Father, right now, we, your church, stand in faith. And we just say, we have decided to follow you, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none beside you and there is no one like you. Father, forgive us for the times where we let fear sit on the throne or comfort sit on the throne or selfishness sit on the throne. And we just, we remove those things and we establish you on the throne. And Lord, I pray right now for every person who's got a cup that they don't want. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you take that cup from them? But in that, God, I pray that there would be a greater burden for them, that they would say, Lord, ultimately not my will, but your will be done. Would you use this for your glory? Would you use this to reach others? And so, God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today. Lord, I release courage into their minds that we will fear no evil, for you are with us, that you go before us, that who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus can trouble or hardship or nakedness or famine or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, even in death. So God, release courage today. Release the peace that passes all understanding in your church in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, we just rise up and we say, would you use us in this hour to show the world what the Lamb is like? Would you use us in Atlantic Canada to show the world what the Lamb is like? Would you use us in our neighborhoods to show our neighborhood what the, what the Lamb is like? To show our, our family what the Lamb is like? Would we bear witness to your rule and your reign in the here and now? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.